Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football run by two idiots with liberal arts degrees. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today, we're going to be reviewing the 2017 UGA football roster, making some predictions about individual games, and just talking about what we think about the season going forward as a whole. Let's talk about the roster. Let's do it. I'm into it. Um, I mean, I think really where we, you know, the season and the roster really begins and ends with the offensive line. I think that's probably the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's we, a lot of moving and shaking going on on the offensive line right now. Yeah, we are right now. Today is August 16th and we're about, I don't know, a little bit over halfway through fall camp. And, well, no, I mean, we're done with fall camp. We're into just straight up practice. Uh, Preseason practice. Yeah, preseason practice. But at this point, oh, sorry. At this point, um, I would say that the, it looks like of any other place on the field that the offensive line definitely has the most um, instability on it, Mm -hmm. in it rather. So I would say that, you know, that's something that we really need to break down. So last year, um, obviously, it was a very disappointing offensive line year. Uh, the advanced stats back this up. Pulling up uh, Bill Connolly's qu- um, numbers pretty quickly here. Uh, like, we had a very, very poor run stuff percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, we, in a lot of ways, were, were really bad on standard downs. We were um, really, really bad on stuff rate, which is just like how often you just get stuffed behind the line. Mm-hmm. really the reason this is such a concern and i think really what uh what puts this all in focus for me in terms of roster review is the fact that georgia was 101st in adjusted line yards at 82nd and rushing smp plus last year so rushing smp plus is just sort of a holistic measure of how good our running game was um so that's not great but what's really disturbing is 101st in adjusted line yards so basically um what adjusted line yards are is you take every one run and you break it down by Basically, the first three or four yards belong all the way to the offensive line. The next four or five yards belong to about 50% each way. And then all yards after that are kind of like the running back's responsibility. So adjusted line yards should show us how good the, like basically mathematically how good our line is at opening holes. And Mm. 101st in the nation is not good. So, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, part of the problem was that we had a couple of people playing out of position. Our best offensive lineman, arguably Isaiah Wynn, is a guard. Mm-hmm. Dyshawn Sims is also a guard who was also playing tackle at a lot of times last year. So coming into this year, we've brought in a whole clutch, a whole bevy of uh, very, very highly related or highly rated offensive line recruits including probably the stars of the show of that show being the two offensive tackles, Isaiah Wilson, who's a five-star out of Brooklyn at poly prep and um, Andrew Thomas, who is another, I think four, high four, low five-star tackle out of pace Academy, um, which is also, if we ever do a recruiting podcast where Jamari Sawyer, the probably the best offensive lineman to come out of Georgia in like 15 years is, is that, but anyway, those two kind of headed up. We've also got uh, Justin Schaefer, in terms of freshman, who looks like a pretty promising guard recruit, um, and you and a couple of others, and Tory Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. I think really, um, in terms of 
incoming freshmen, the names you want to look for are uh, Andrew Thomas, who's apparently been running with the ones at guard, uh, uh, right guard throughout the season, and uh, some at, are throughout preseason practice, and some at right tackle. Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah Wilson, who looks like to be probably the second team right tackle behind, it looks like, Ben Cleveland, as of now, reading the tea leaves. Um <laughs> Returning starters that are important, Ben Cleveland, five-star recruit from last year who didn't really play, play much, and then Solomon Kindley, who was a three-star recruit who was just basically like a really good football player that was super fat, mm-hmm. um, who seems to have lost a, way, a lot of weight and become a very good player for Pittman. Um, and so basically, we, we really only have like three returning offensive line players, right? Yeah. I mean, well, three, obviously we have more than that on the, yeah, but on the roster, but three that matter. Yeah. So, uh, the, the returners other than those two, I mean, the, the most significant are, um, Isaiah Wynn, who is probably our best offensive lineman. He's certainly the most versatile and experienced. He's a, he's a good player, but he's not like your typical tackle size player. He's about, I think he's like six, two, six, three, like 300 and 295 something like that mm-hmm. as opposed to like your 65 330 dude that you wanted the tackle or that sam Pittman clearly values and then a couple of other notables lamont galliard is a i think rising junior who looks like a he looks like he's pretty much penciled in at the center spot and then theoretically demarcus hayes who was like the number two overall rated offensive tackle prospect in the juco ranks last year is coming in which also looks to be pretty uh pretty exciting but i mean long story short that's that's the worry one of those guys well frankly multiple of those guys need to step up i think that this might be one of those like sort of uh war things where it's like wins above replacement in baseball where like if you just if you go from having a really really bad player to just an average player you get a lot of mileage out of that Mm -hmm. so i mean i don't think we need to be like 2011 alabama on the offensive line we just need to be like if we're if our rushing S and P plus is like in the fifties and our uh, our line yards is in the sixties or seventies, like we'll be fine. But yeah, getting we'll it to fine. there, yeah, is a. I know just reading from just some practice notes just the other day. Um, I know that like there, like you said, it is definitely a battle on the offensive line, and a lot of guys haven't found their positions yet. Like I know that like Dyshawn Sims, they haven't really found where he's going to be. Yeah, certainly. And so they're trying to figure out what, what's going to happen there, which is really good, though, because our first four games, I know that SEC gameplay for us doesn't really start. Like, that season doesn't start till week four, which is really right. good. So yes. we have some time to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, you certainly, you're going to get it, you're going to get tested at Notre Dame, but, um, you know, that game is going to be just as hard as an SEC game, but, you know, who knows if it matters as much in the grand scheme of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, Mississippi matters State... the playoffs. Right, yeah, yeah. Mississippi State is week three, and then, yeah, things really kick off week four with Tennessee, at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm really worried about, is that the, the SEC West is pretty much decided, as it typically is. Um, yeah. The East is still up in the air between Tennessee and Florida, and ourselves, I hope, we're in that contention. Uh-huh. But... Um, yeah, so I know that it's it's going to be a weird first four weeks because a lot of play a lot of teams aren't starting uh, with anything specifically. Did you say Mississippi State's week three? Yeah, Mississippi State is week three. That's the first conference game. Pulling up, let me verify. No, that. that's we're actually playing Samford our third week. Oh, Samford. Yeah, you're right. So, Mississippi State's uh, week four. I'm so sorry. No, it's good. LSU is playing at Mississippi State. That's why I was confused. I was like, yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, first horrible oh, no. inaccuracy of the podcast. Yay! No, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna make plenty of those. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right, though. I mean, I think if we, I mean, okay, I don't want to 
count our chickens here, but let's just assume that we take the we take the odds and we say that we win um, App State and Samford. You know, you if I think that the Notre Dame game just because it's away is probably pretty close to a toss up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you can go into the Sanford game at one and one, you're feeling not great but okay, especially depending on how the Notre Dame game goes. But mm-hmm. just in those eight quarters between Samford and App State, we really need to get some stuff figured out on the offensive line. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And I, you would hope that by you know by the end of the Samford game, we have our our first team line set that we're going to have for the rest of the season. Personally, mm-hmm. I mean, and the real scary thing is just like making a change anywhere on the roster before you go to a big out of conference game. Um, in Notre Dame and, and week two is, is kind of scary, but like you said, I mean, it's not the, I mean, losing that game sucks, but like, we still have all of our goals in front of us. Yeah. Sir, maybe it puts us out of the uh, playoff race, but like in terms of like winning the SEC East and going to the SEC championship, that still can easily happen. And it, I know that traditionally, like in the past few years, I was trying to look up a statistic for this to where I didn't have to do all the work myself, but I didn't end up finding it. Uh, <laughs> But the I know that usually Georgia comes pretty strong out of the gate every year. And we either keep that steam going or we just kind of peter out. Like I know, um, who was it? Uh, right before Jacob Eason. Was it Lambert that was a quarterback right before Eason? Yeah, two years ago. Yeah, Grayson Lambert came out and he made uh, the that ridiculous um, record. It was like most completions in a game against yeah, USC. Yeah, South Carolina, yeah. yeah South Carolina was there. Last year we beat... Um, unc a game we didn't have any business winning and so we just keep every year we come out of the gate with something really yeah big, we've had seems. some we've had some very good week one finishes i you know you worry my my biggest concern is about a quarter of the way into season the season week four or five or even three uh we traditionally have dropped some games there south carolina game comes to mind a couple of times it's like a first sec game or something and it's just like we just shoot ourselves in the foot um but yeah you're right i mean I think if we beat Notre Dame, there's going to be a lot of momentum and we're going to get talked up a lot on the shows and on ESPN and on talk radio, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I would say that definitely in those first three weeks, we definitely want to really hew close to the, what the advanced stats are telling us because um, we could very well be a paper tiger. I mean, Mm -hmm. because there's a, there's a scenario in which that, you know, Notre Dame is, like not as good as we think they are. And we just go up there and like roll over them. I mean, there's a scenario yeah. where we lose as well, but I, I, I do kind of worry that we're sitting there at three and after the Sanford game. And we're like, Oh man, this is going to be great. And then at the end of the year, it's like, Oh, eight and four or you know, yeah. seven and five or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, Mike. Oh no, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, is there anything else you want to say about the roster before we've kind of already dabbled here in the schedule a little bit, but is there anything else you want to say about I the roster? Mean, I would love to, but I didn't mean to get that far into the schedule. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Just kind of get, kept going. I'd love to talk about the offense. I know that, um, of course, we have – I was looking at all the, the stats last year for the the, um, the secondary – not the secondary, but the receiving core, excuse me. We just didn't have a very strong receiving core. And I think we talked about this on some of the the uh, the recording that we didn't actually release last week. Yes. Just how we just don't have much of a receiving core right now. Yes. And it just kind of comes from our deep um, running backs is, is the thing right now. Like Isaiah McKenzie, I think, was – he caught the the most balls last year, most touchdowns. He had like seven touchdowns last year and didn't even break 700 yards. But um, he still ran in like four touchdowns as well. 
And so it's just, it's just kind of a, a a weird mess we have going on there. But um, who are we going to throw to? We, I know we have, you were talking about some recruits last week. Um, Yeah. Okay. You're right. Uh, Last year, the receiving core was certainly um, disappointing. And I think, you know, we had several guys that were either relatively highly rated recruits or who had looked good in camp last year. Guys like um, Michael Chigbu and Jason Staley, who just could not catch a cold in the winter, it mm-hmm. seemed like, and just could not get separation. So this year, um, Jeremiah Holloman is a very was a very highly rated recruit and was basically only not super highly related. Uh, he was the only reason he was not like a five star wide receiver was that he did not play full time wide receiver, and there were some questions about like did he have the hands to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he looks like to be a very nice surprise. He looks like his hands are all right. But I mean, every other component of being a wide receiver in terms of being six, five and blazingly fast and making separation and just being physical at the point of uh, point of the catch, he seems to have all reports are saying. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, McColl Hardman, who was, he's actually going to be a sophomore or a redshirt freshman this year. Um, was originally recruited as an athlete and played cornerback this year, but got switched during spring camp to um, wide receiver seems to be, coming on very nicely um he apparently is just like one of the most electric guys on the team uh so those are the two like newcomers i think that are going to be most likely to make a really good uh really big impression this year i think i think that ultimately it's going to come down to two of the guys from last year taking a step up which would be javon wims who was um he's a junior college transfer his second year here he's like sort of your prototypical outside receiver six five uh, real physical can knock you off the ball um can get deep and get separation who he got injured early in the season last year but he came on really well he lo- he looks like of all of our receivers that we have coming back from last year uh whims probably is the one who looks the most like an sec receiver and then um terry godwin who is sort of a smaller shiftier guy in the mold of isaiah mckenzie a little bit bigger and musclier but not you know not a six five guy um, but Godwin, by all accounts, this, um, fall camp has really come on. And apparently I heard today that actually they've, uh, they're starting to feel comfortable with him moving outside, which would be super good news because we have a lot of guys that can play at the slot, including mm-hmm. those running backs you were talking about earlier, but not a lot of guys who can play on the outside. And that's really what we need to find. But how and you were talking about a bunch of, uh, a bunch of our receiving core couldn't catch uh, a cold in the winter, of course, like you said, but. How much of that was Jacob Eason and how much of that was the receiving core specifically? Because Eason only threw 16 touchdowns and half of those were interceptions afterwards. Half of not those specifically, but yeah. 16 and 8. Um, you know, I think it's hard to say. I, the The interrelation of the offensive line and the um, quarterback and the wide receiver, it's kind of hard to suss out. I My impression is that... Um, Jacob Eason on the deep balls tended to be the one at fault. He had a couple mm-hmm. that he would just air out, but that there were several times in intermediate routes. Um, I, I noticed in particular like out routes and like little shallow, uh, not shallow, but just drags or crosses. Our mm-hmm. wide receivers just a lot of times could not get separation. Just yeah. couldn't. I, and they were just blanketed up. So, I mean, I, I think it's probably about 50, 50 and Eason does need to get better on that. But I do not remember a lot of times when he just totally overthrew a guy who was 10 yards with no mm-hmm. one around him. He, I mean, he did it a couple of times, but it wasn't like every time that, you know, our wide receivers were just open. Yeah. I really can't think of a situation from last year where we had, like you said, just a receiver that was just out in wide space. Yeah. 
it, it didn't seem to happen a lot. I mean, and if anything, the biggest criticism of Ethan, of Ethan, Jesus, of Eason, <laughs> the biggest criticism of Eason was that he would lock onto the guys who were covered and you would have like a dump out or like a, you know, a, a short route open for a shorter gang. And he just would either wouldn't see it or wouldn't go to it quick enough. Um, and I mean, but I think that's kind of a separate issue to the, the separation issues, uh, especially going deep and down the sideline. Okay, cool. So, um, defense in terms of roster review, I really think that, um, our defense is going to be very good. I would say I'm comfortable saying that there'll be a top 15 defense. I think if I was feeling really spicy, I might say that they would be a top 10 defense. I think that's the range they project to, um, mm-hmm. They are they are at least good at all three levels, and at two of the levels, they are excellent. Um, we are going to have probably the second-best defensive line in the SEC, um, anchored by Trent Thompson and a bunch of really good sophomores. Trent Thompson is a beast. Um, he looks like someone who might one day be just like a um, franchise-defining NFL tackle, or defensive mm-hmm. tackle, defense-defining at the very least. Um You've got a couple of very good sophomores coming out. Jonathan Ledbetter is an upperclassman in the line that's also very good. Um, and I think they're just going to really wreak havoc. But then even be- even more than that, I actually think that UGA has the best linebacking core in the nation, including Alabama. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you can make an argument that Alabama might have the deeper core. But, I mean... So as of right now, you've got Raquan Smith and Natrez Patrick as your starting inside linebackers, and Raquan Smith is just a freak of nature. Is, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, honest to God, like there, I, you know, I, I watched a lot of games during the Willie Martinez era when anytime uh-huh. we put an inside linebacker on a wide receiver or a tight end down the field, it was just like an automa- automatic uh, touchdown for, you know, just. 80% of the time it felt like so watching Raquan Smith who is a big dude who can get inside and hit really well also run sideline to sideline and down the field with receivers he's probably the best cover um, cover linebacker that we've had since like some of those hybrid guys back in the day like or not back in the day but a little earlier in this um, this decade like Greg Blue maybe Thomas mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably the best uh, cover linebacker we've had since Thomas Davis, I would say. Like, he, he's he's that good. He's excellent. Um, and then Natris Patrick is a little bit a little bit slower on the hoof in terms of coverage, but, I mean, fast compared to any other human being and a huge dude who will just, like, absolutely kill you in the run game. Um, Lorenzo Carver and da- Davin Bellamy, the starters at outside linebacker, are um, two dudes who have never really put together, like, dominant seasons but have had flashes of dominance. Uh, Lorenzo Carter in particular is just like every inch of what you want from an outside linebacker in a three, four, he's fast. He bends well, he can run a little bit light against the, against the run, but just, I mean, an incredible athlete. I mean, he looks like a wide receiver out there. Yeah. I love watching Lorenzo Carter. He's so much fun to watch. Yeah, I know. He's, he's just, you know, certainly at the beginning of his career and even a little bit last year, there are times when he's running and it's like, my hair's on fire and I don't know where I am. But (laughs) um, when he has it together and when he's in the zone, I mean, during the bowl game last year, he just was disruptive on every play. They could not block him. Um, And that was, that really, really impacted the game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think, I know we talked last week, but definitely the, the secondary, if there is an area concern is the biggest area concern um the safeties are going to be very good it's going to be dominic uh dominic sanders and then someone Mm -hmm. else probably i'm 
Um, I think probably that'll be like Tyreek McGee will be the second safety or maybe uh, Richard LeCount, the, the freshman. Um, but it looks like that we just lost. I mean, the biggest concern is that it, it sounds like today that we lost uh, one of our starting cornerbacks, Malcolm Parrish, for the first yeah. chunk of the season. So that's a little disturbing. I mean, I just don't see a like number one lockdown cornerback there, which I know is something we talked about last week. Yeah, and I know that a lot of pieces in just the defensive backs position, there's a lot of uh, moving and shaking around there. And so what's going on in that situation? What's what's up there? Um, well, okay, so before today, we pretty much thought that we had the two cornerbacks settled. It looked mm-hmm. like it was going to be um, Malcolm Parrish and DeAndre Baker. Um, Baker, I think, is still going to be the case, but... Uh, it looks like Malcolm Parrish is out at least maybe through the Notre Dame game. So that's a little more instability added on to the fact that we are replacing the star. Um, our star last year, Marie Smith, is gone. And also possibly trying to fill one of the uh, safety roles. So before today with the Baker in, or with the uh, Parrish injury, what it looked like was going to happen was that um, basically Aaron Davis, who is maybe the best, well, one of the better walk-ons in the history of UGA's program, Looked, it looked like Aaron Davis was going to take either the star position or the safety position, depending on if anyone like claimed the other one. He had first, you know, he was going to take the one that was not claimed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it looks like that Aaron Davis is going to run at, and perish his cornerback spot, and um, it looks like it's either going to be Tyreek McGee or Richard LeCount, uh, another like uber freshman. Um, Tyreek McGee is a sophomore who has a lot of experience but hasn't played a lot. So yeah. You're certainly right to say that there, it seems like there's a lot in flux, especially with this newest injury. Speaking on the roster, though, I know that we keep t- going back to the fact that there's a lot of, how I've put it, moving and shaking going on. There's a lot of fighting for positions, and that's that's pretty typical in preseason, no matter where you are, of course. But how much of that do you think is being brought over from Kirby Smart specifically? And I think we'll be able to see this more when we have a definitive roster and we can speak to this more factually. But right now, just from where you're reading things and secondhand source and that sort of thing. What, what are you seeing um, in that area? Um, everything that I've been hearing is just that Kirby Smart's philosophy is that he will just recruit over you. He is totally comfortable bringing in a five-star, then recruiting a five-star at the exact same position next year if he can do it. And mm-hmm. I think that's leading to some um, sort of come-to-Jesus moments with a lot of our players. I mean, I would say that Jacob Eason is... I, I mean, I'm not 100% confident that, like, the sun's going to rise tomorrow. But uh, in terms of – I'm about 99% confident that Jacob Eason will start at quarterback spot. But even there, you you bring in a guy like Jake Fromm, and it seems like Kirby has been very intentional about trying to kind of, like, goose Eason a little bit about how good Jake Fromm is in the, in the film room and how much he's always a gym rat and how he's a really great leader. And these are all criticisms that have been leveled at Jacob Eason in the past. So I think – um, Kirby Smart's philosophy is not just that like competition will happen at every um, every position, but that like uh, he is absolutely willing to recruit over you, bring in another freshman that's better than you, and just replace you. And I think he's he's definitely seems to have convinced the team that um, just in the sense that like uh, everything that I've heard and the one practice that I was able to attend in spring uh, during the spring camp is just that these guys go they go a hundred miles an hour, and if they don't, they're getting torn. A, knew you know what yeah. um so yeah i i mean i think that i think that it, kirby smart's influence there is definitely a real thing i mean there was a, a pretty common criticism 
leveled at uh, Mark Richt was that, you know, if you were a senior, you were just more likely to play. And I, that is not how it is anymore. That's not how it is at all. And it shouldn't be that way. Do you want to, do you want to go into the schedule more now? Yeah. We talked a bit about, but I really wanted to talk about just how uh, there was, there was something different about this year's schedule that actually is pretty different considering like our entire schedule in this entire series with this team is the late year South Carolina game. Yeah. Um, And it's something everyone looks forward to every single year. This is actually, in fact, the, there's only one game in this entire series that has been later than this date, November 4th. And it was back in 1939. Oh man. We played South Carolina in, uh, on November 18th. But other than that, it's always in September. Um, Justin, so, just bringing in the deep cuts, man. <laughs> deep cuts. But yeah, USC is always something I really look forward to. And I love watching that game. And it's always a big kind of a tone setter for the season in a way. And I feel like everyone kind of looks at that. How do you think it's going to affect us if we're not going to play them until November is, is a big thing. We're not starting SEC play with them. We're not going to see them until we see Auburn and Tennessee both in, in their home field. Um, what's well, going to happen? I think, and I know this is a very unstats-like thing to say, but mm-hmm. I think that the whole complexion of this series has changed now that Steve Spurrier is not there. Yeah. Steve Spurrier sort of made a living killing Georgia early in the, st- in the year, beating mm-hmm. us, and then being a jackass to us about it afterwards. You know, the complexion of the series has changed just because you don't have sort of this primary antagonist at uh, South Carolina who seems to be so gleeful and ribbing Georgia. Um, and playing early in the season and you know Spurrier very famously made this big comment about how well you know I love to play uh, UGA early in the season they always got three or four guys suspended that's a horrible 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 Steve Spurrier impression but um, I actually like it for us I like not playing South Carolina early just because um, even now with Muschamp they do kind of have the look of a team that will sneak up on you they're not Mm. as talented as we are but they are scrappy and they play really good defense and if they just get something together on offense you know they'll sneak up on you mm-hmm. having said that i mean i it's very very possible that Miss, uh, mississippi state could play that role i worry about us overlooking mississippi state uh coming into sanford uh, uh you know before we go to tennessee the next week which i don't think is going to happen especially if that game is the first uh night sec game in, in sanford for the year but who knows it's gonna be a tough game tennessee's always a tough game especially at Tennessee. I think, uh, no, no, no. I mean, I just think that the tendency is still for us to look at, to look at Mississippi State as though they are a little brother. And even though they are less talented than we are, they have a very good quarterback and a coach who has been there for a long time who knows how to score. And so that's that concerning. And I hate, and I cannot believe these words are about to come out of my mouth, <laughs> but they actually improved their defensive coordinator um, spot this uh, offseason by hiring fr- Todd freaking Grantham somehow. Um, did they really yeah i had no did. idea that happened yeah they hired him away it was it was it sounds like it was a very similar situation to the way he left uh uga where you know he was hired but he was kind of quote-unquote allowed to leave um i'm just really afraid about the auburn and tennessee game i think that the fact that we are um people are saying or the stats say that it's the second hardest schedule in the league is really that right there specifically that's yeah. really what's pulling us down i second in the nation right on espn this year second in the nation yeah it's I a catch number one, but I'm curious to see. It's a little concerning because you know, Bill. We haven't we've managed not to talk about stats god Bill Connolly yet this podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, he has us going seven and five and seems to think that we're going to improve quite a bit, but still only go seven and five because of the schedule in part. 
And I think, you know, looking at his win expectancy numbers is pretty, pretty revealing in terms of that, because his win expectancies for us are, and this is in order from Appalachian State forward, okay? Appalachian State, 78%. Notre Dame, 41%, which is projected minus three margin. He has us them winning by four points. Mm-hmm. Samford, 99 or 98%. Mississippi State, 66%. Uh, Tennessee, 49%, 0.04 projected margin difference. Um, yeah, squeaker. Uh, Vandy, 68%, Missouri, 76%, Florida, 40%, 70, or, uh, South Carolina, 70%, Auburn, 30 Kentucky, 72 and Georgia Tech, 55 So, yeah, that puts us at, if you just, like, look at the basically projected wins, it puts us at a projected win total of 7.4. Because if you basically consider anything between... 60% and 40% is pretty close to a coin flip. That mm-hmm. gives us uh, one, two, three, four, five coin flip games by his model. And he's saying we're going to lose the coin flips. Yeah. So, th- I mean, this assumes that, you know, we basically have a chalk season. So that yeah. would assume that we lose to both Tennessee and Florida and Notre Dame. Um mm-hmm. And then, you know, we probably looks like we squeak one out against Georgia Tech and then lose to Auburn as well. So, like, that's our, those are the four losses. Um, are the, yeah, the four losses. And then I guess, yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, I don't see it turning out that way. Do you want to move into project- predictions? This feels like yeah. as good a time as any. I think so. Yeah. So, I hate to disagree with our robot overlord, Bill Connolly, but it certainly <laughs> feels to me like this is not a seven and five season. Um, I do agree that we have quite a few coin flip games that we have a very hard schedule, but I just feel like if you look at Notre Dame, Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, yeah. it, if we go two and two in that stretch, which I think is feasible, I think that probably puts us at nine and three. So if you win, if you, if you, Look at, looking by his win probability numbers, if we win the ones that we're closest to being favored in, which would be Tennessee and um, no, Tennessee and Notre Dame, yeah. that would possibly put us at, I mean, even going all the way up to 10 and 2. You know, that that is not a totally objective take, but I just cannot see 7 and 5 this year. I'm, I've got us pegged at going 9 and 3. And I feel like the losses are Auburn, Tennessee, and, you know, I hate to say it, but I think maybe Georgia Tech. I was going to say Florida. I think we might have Florida this year. But anyway, what do you think? Um, I think pretty similar to what you're saying. Uh, I, I really don't like our chances against Auburn. Auburn's just a good team, and I think they're going to give Alabama a run for their money. I think that we're going to beat Notre Dame, uh, especially since in the coaches' poll right now, they are essentially 30th, and we're, what, 15th? Mm-hmm. And so I like the coaches poll. The coach, the coaches are watching more than we are. They're seeing more than we are. They're watching more footage than we are. So they know a bit more than we do at this point. Um, and I trust that. Yeah. Uh, at least to an extent. So we'll know a little bit better by week three when we go to Notre Dame or week two, excuse me. So we'll see what happens, but I think that we're going to beat Notre Dame, but I do think we're going to lose to Auburn. I think we're going to beat Tennessee. I think we lose to Florida. And then I somehow think we went out. So I'm, I'm, I like a 10 and two. <laughs> oh, a spicy ten and two. So you've a got spicy ten and two. The ultimate sort of like Georgia thing to do would be to go ten and two, lose to Florida, and then have Florida only have have either no losses or one loss to an SEC West opponent. Exactly. And giving sending them to Atlanta for the third year in a row, even though we go ten and two. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, you know what? That's our light. Our, our lot in life as Georgia fans. 
One more note that I do want to talk about in terms of the schedule is just looking at uh, Bill Connolly's projections. And he has this going, as I said, seven and five. Part of his problem, I think, there is that he is unduly biased, which is weird to say about a robot. But I think he's unduly biased (laughs) by the fact that he just did not like the fact that we got rid of Mark Richt. He thinks, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mark Richt did win nine or ten games quite a bit in his 15 years here. Uh, And I think that Connolly's viewpoint is that basically Georgia can't expect to be Nick Saban, Alabama, which I think is fair. And basically that... uh, should just be happy with those nine one seasons. I think that that is an outsider's read of the situation that sort of ignores a lot of the issues that got Mark Rick canned, which was sort of the um, behind the times recruiting and the roster management and just sort of inability to recruit a good offensive lineman or, you know, double recruit at positions of need. Um, I really think that his perception of us is colored by that unduly. I mean, in terms of season predict- predictions, the numbers are the numbers, but I cannot, I just cannot fathom seven and five. Like, no, no, no I no. can see where it would happen, but it, it, I will actually be shocked. I think eight and four is probably our, is probably our floor for this year. All right. That's the I only thing I, I wanted to say. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I definitely agree with you saying that Bill Connolly did not like that move at all. But at the end of the day, I mean, Mark Richt wasn't, he was a worse coach in clutch situations and he let, athletes get by with just being like okay it's all right we'll do it better next time yes. and that was it and that that i think that's that's a perspective that we have as georgia fans of mm-hmm. sort of just being around campus and uh talking to people about sort of behind the scenes stuff but yeah. it definitely does seem like that uh there was a culture of complacency and i yeah. was actually working as a tutor in the athletic association during the mark Drake era and mm-hmm. I mean, obviously can't say too much about it, but I, I would agree with that. And I feel like I have a pretty good set of objective evidence to back that up. And, you know, if you're, if you want to go non-subjective about it and just talk about the raw numbers, I mean, the fact of the matter is that while it is true that we were only a couple of breaks away from winning the national championship, or at least going to it once or twice, it is also equally true that in probably Mark Rick's best year or his most talented team, the 2007 team, mm-hmm. did not go to the national championship because we came out and sleptwalked uh, against that same freaking Steve Spurrier South Carolina team and got yep. waxed like 48 to 14. And, and those are the kind of moments that you can blame on coaching. I mean, when you have a very, very good team that might have been the third or fourth most talented team in the nation that year come out and just get totally demolished by an unraked South Carolina team that has to be pinned on coaching. And at some point, you know, obviously we cannot all be Nick Saban's Alabama. And yes, Nick Saban has warped perception of what we expect in the sec. But I think that with the, with the, with the resources that we have at UGA and the amount of money that we are willing to spend while it is not Alabama, like I think that those set of resources mean that we should at least be beating the teams that we should beat consistently and that we should not be losing out on national championships because of stupid games to teams that are worse than us. But that's just me. These 40 minutes have been the second episode of Chapel Bell Curve. And uh, we both want to thank you so much for listening and giving us the chance to actually sit here and just kind of have a moment with Georgia. And um, any outro comments from you, Nathan? (laughs) I just winged that. Yeah, um, please give us a rating or a review on iTunes and Google Play Music, both of which are live. Uh, any feedback that you'd like to give us, you can give us at Chapel Bell Curve. 
at Twitter. Please also give us a follow there if you like what you hear. And if you have anything you want to tell us that takes more than 140 characters, feel free to send us an email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. Uh, we are both dorks and we definitely will respond. And That's a real so, good time for us. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, uh, we'll catch you in the Classic City next time. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs.